0: Well, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and it's actually interesting to say this is Ed Stetzer Live because all week I've been hosting equipped with Chris Brooks. So I'm afraid at some point I'm going to say this is equipped with Chris Brooks. I'm Ed Stetzer filling in for Chris Brooks. But for those of you listening, I don't think all the – I mean, most of the stations are the same. I know K-Wave, we are uniquely carried on there in Southern California. Love and appreciate our partners over there, but most of the same stations. So if you had the chance to listen in this week, I've been the fill-in host all week long. Had a great time on the radio, different fun guests And, um, but what's, I had one of the guests who, a couple of the guests last week who were friends of mine, but, but one of the things I love is when I can bring somebody to you, that's a friend that talks about something that I'm kind of interested in, but still bothered by, I'm going to explain that in just a minute. And that's what we get to do today. So again, this is Ed Stetzer Live. My name is Ed Stetzer. I'm the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Our old team here is here every Saturday help you get going. Actually, Courtney Young deserves a special shout out today. She works some technological magic. She's our engineer. I'll talk about the rest of the team later on. And as always, we're going to invite your calls in just a bit. But let me tell you about my guest. My guest and I, I don't know, we've been friends for a long time. Her name is Sharon Hottie-Miller. She's got a PhD. She and her husband, Ike, founded Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina. Think of that, you know, Raleigh-Durham area. Um, and uh, they, she's the author of several books, including the one we're going to talk about today, uh, which I'll tell in just a minute. But she has blogged at SheWorshipS.com for over 10 years, a regular contributor, Propel. Uh, her, uh, hermeneutics is kind of a theological site, uh, and She Roots Truth, and lots of other publications and blogs. Today, we're going to talk about her new book. Well, not just her new book. We're talking about the theme around control. Her book is called The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. So super helpful to have you on, Sharon, and good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program, Sharon.
1: Good morning. How are you?
0: i 'm good what a, what a in you know, my introduction you know I said stuff i got questions i got i got I got questions about this thing because i <laughs> i you know because i 'm a person who likes to have things i would not say i, I want to say controlling but I like things sort of under control and yes. uh and and we 're going to talk about that and one of the things that we 've seen is uh the pandemic and not just that but the cultural division the craziness of our world right now has kind of brought um, a new level anxiety for a whole lot of us. So talk to us about how that's impacted you, the people at your church, and how the idea for this book came about.
1: Yeah, well, I would make the argument that it's not even that the pandemic brought a new level of anxiety. It just exposed what was already there. You know, anytime we face a challenge or a trial and we respond in a way that we realize is not our best self, I think it's really easy to blame the situation on why we responded badly. But very often what is happening is we're just seeing our true spiritual state. You know, we're seeing the actual health of our soul. And that is what happened for a lot of us in the last two, two and a half years is it's not that we were responding badly. It's not that we were feeling anxiety necessarily because of the pandemic, but the pandemic just revealed that. And so for me personally, I experienced that in a number of different ways. I saw you know, <laughs> my true spiritual state and how I responded to the loss of control, you know, with everything shutting down. I was constantly online, you know, monitoring what are the numbers? You know, where is it spreading? What are the number of cases? What do we know? You know, just just constantly getting all the information that I could And and that was actually a control response. But I was also realizing my own issues with control in my parenting because I have, as you know, three young children. And right now they are nine, seven and four. But at the time my youngest was two. We were thrown into homeschooling. Uh, I I believe that teaching children is an actual spiritual gift and (laughs) I do not possess that gift. And so we were at home leading our church, homeschooling our kids. I was yelling all the time because my kids were loud. And so I thought, okay, I just need to be louder. I need to overpower Mm -hmm. them. And again, this was a control response. And then on top of all that, we were leading, our church was only a year and a half years old. And so we are wondering, is our church going to survive? But we're also navigating masks. You know, do we mask? Do we gather? We're navigating racial tension. We're navigating a political election and how everything is being run through a filter. Every decision that we make is being run through a filter and feeling like, how do I convince my people to agree with me? How do I what information do I need to download into their brains? to help them to understand why the decisions we we're making are wise. And again, that was a control response. <laughs> so I have, I had a lot of source material for this <laughs> book in the last two and a half years.
0: Yeah, well, I think, and I think we all have. And I think part of the reality is, is even people, you know, I, I do a message. I was just speaking at this uh the 4C Conference, Conservative Congregational Christian Conference. And and mm-hmm. I, I kind of point out people, everyone has this heightened level of fear or concern. And I, I use this example. I say some people are afraid of the pandemic and some people are afraid that people are too afraid of the pandemic. And it's like mm-hmm. everyone yes. sort of has this and, and, and we all kind of feel this heightened level of concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, again, your timing is pretty perfect because we couldn't control so much of what uh-huh. happened in the last few years, and um, uh-huh. and I want to talk some about that. I want to talk some about well, the definition of control. Because again, uh-huh. I think we all like, and I like things, uh-huh. everything under control. I like, I like. It. We're we're going on a, a, a family reunion this week, and I've got the flights booked. I've got the. We're uh-huh. going down to Ridgecrest, North Carolina. I've got the plan. We're going to be uh-huh. near you. Um, I've got the whole plan. It's all under control, and then. I don't want the weather to mess up the travel, you know. So, so mm-hmm. what is the definition of control, and how does uncertainty relate to and impact that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I define control in sort of two different ways in the book. The first is that it's the the power to influence people and circumstances. That's typically how we we think about control. But there's another element to it, which is also the feeling that control gives us is this feeling of being in control this feeling of being empowered and sometimes that is really all that we're after is is simply that that feeling you know when when you go online you know to find out the data about what's happening in the pandemic it's not because you are in that moment thinking, how can I control this virus? Because you know you can't control it. But you're seeking that sense of certainty, that sense of predictability that that makes you feel empowered. And so that's a huge aspect of the illusion of control is, is simply that feeling of being in control, whether or not that is even tied to reality
0: good 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 and i think uh, i think for all of us we have i mean there's different things there's different uh realities that we're all kind of walking through so uh, so you started writing this book and you mm-hmm. began to kind of bring out some of these ideas one of the things you talk about is the act of naming you actually mm-hmm. refer to it throughout the book talk to us a little bit about mm-hmm. what that means but let me also just invite our our callers and uh mm-hmm. so i want to invite you to call 877548 3675 We're talking about control. We're talking about where Mm the anxiety and stress may come from related to that. But talk to us a little bit about naming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I didn't give the number. Let me give the number 877-548-3675. Again, our number is 877-548-3675. Talk to us about naming.
1: Yeah, so basically the structure of this book is I'm doing kind of a biopsy of control where in the first section I'm looking at why do we struggle with control? Where did this come from? Both theologically, culturally, you know, why is this such a struggle for humankind? Then I look at the different forms of control that we turn to. And then the third section is what is the cost of control? And then the fourth section, only in the fourth section do I even get to the solution. And you you've written books, you know how the publishing industry is, you know, they really want it to be this book is going to answer, you know, all of your problems and, and all of your solutions. But I give so much time in the book to simply naming and understanding that problem accurately. And part of the reason I do that and I say this in the introduction is how important it is to name things accurately. That is really half the, the battle is if you are, for example, going back to the beginning of our conversation, if you're saying the, the reason I feel this way is the pandemic, you have named that incorrectly. And so we need to go back and say, what is really going on? You know, what is what is really going on in your soul? What is really going on in your faith, in your relationship with God, where you are being tossed about, you know, by every wave of every storm? You have named that incorrectly. And so I really wanted to, to give a, a concerted amount of time in the book to just naming correctly our relationship with control. But the other reason that I, I give time to this is – kind of the overall arc of the book is the truth that god does not give us control but he does give us agency and we see this in genesis 1 and 2 the book is really a long meditation on genesis 3 and that moment where adam and eve grasp for knowledge and grasp for this godlike power and how whenever we reach for control we are reenacting that and we're reenacting its consequences But when we look back to genesis one and two we see that adam and eve were not in control but they still had power and they still had freedom they had agency they had the power to influence and so in that final section of the book i look at okay what is the agency that we have been given which is really just power with limitations what what is that power and one of the the forms of agency that we see is naming and ordering. This is one of mm. God's first acts of creation is is naming. And then that's one of the first things that he commissions Adam to do as being made in his image. And I don't think we consider naming as a form of power, but it really truly is. You know, when you don't have the right diagnosis and you are naming it incorrectly, you are not going to be able to heal. You know, there's there's great power in being able to say to a woman, what you're dealing with is postpartum depression. You know, there's, there's a lot of power just in, in naming things accurately. And so making sure that we are exercising this actual form of agency, and we don't necessarily link that as being tied to control. But what I really want people to do by the end of, of reading the book is, is put down the power that God has not given you to pick up the power that he has.
0: Mm, So good. So good. We are actually because I I love the idea of naming too. It's a key theme Mm -hmm. because, you know, even as I'm a missiologist and I I, I speak to pastors and church leaders and I was doing that this week. And when I kind of explained to them that we're going through a cultural convulsion and cultural convulsions tend to last historically, you know, four to six years. And here's what past cultural convulsions. People are like, okay, I can sort of understand what we're walking through. It doesn't give them that full control. But it gives them a sense Mm -hmm. of, all right, now I understand more and I can walk through this. Now, the reality is we're talking about being chronically anxious. And Mm -hmm. um, we we, we talked a little bit about the pandemic, but but our culture in general is chronically Mm -hmm. anxious. Why do you think that's the Mm -hmm. case?
1: Yeah, well, I wanted to also just back up a little bit to what I was sharing earlier about my own... You know, personal self-revelation of my my mm-hmm, struggle please. with control, and you know how I was wrestling with it in so many different areas of my life. And when I had this realization, I'm wrestling with control with my kids, and I'm wrestling with control with the pandemic, and I'm wrestling with control with my church my first thought was, okay, well, I need to let go of this. I need to learn how to surrender because that is what I've always been told in terms of how do you, how do you deal with your struggle with controls? You need to surrender, you need to trust God. And that is absolutely right. That is absolutely correct. It is biblical, it is, it is true. But I also realized it was not helpful it was not helpful to me in the middle of feeling this urge to control, thinking simply, I shouldn't be doing this. I need to let go instead. Now, as I dug into it more and, and studied God's word, what I, the, the truth that I drilled down on, and it's, it's in the title of the book that that motivated me differently, was realizing it's not just that I shouldn't try to control. And it's not just that I don't ultimately have control. It's that it will cost me when I try and it's not an if it's a win. as I just said, you know every time we reach for control we are reenacting Genesis 3. we are reenacting that that moment when Adam and Eve you know fail to trust God and you know trust themselves instead. And then we're also reenacting those consequences. So, you know, what happens? We see immediately there is shame, immediately there is anxiety, immediately there is brokenness between them and between them and God as well. And this is what we reenact every single day that we reach for control as as a gospel, essentially. Control is is a false gospel, is we reenact that moment and its consequences. And that was the, major paradigm shift for me and thinking about those moments of control where I realized, okay, I can continue to, for example, try and control my husband. I can, you know, push and push and push, but it is going to cost my marriage. Do I want to pay that cost? No, I don't.
0: Okay, let's continue our conversation. We've got lots more, and we've got some calls on the line as well. Uh, 877-548-3675 is our number. Maybe you want to call in and talk about walking through control, challenge of stress. Again, 877-548-3675. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. But well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at MoodyPublishers.com. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer here with Sharon Miller. She's got a new book. It's not actually out yet. We're talking about it beforehand. You can pre-order it. It's called The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. We were talking some about the cost of control. So, Sharon, just pick right back up where you were and continue that conversation.
1: Yeah. For anyone who is just joining and I was sharing this realization I had that it's not just that we don't have control, but that it will cost us when we try. And this is written into the blueprint of creation ever since sin entered the world, unfortunately. And that was a huge mindset shift for me. The the example I was just giving right before the break is I, I started seeing these moments of control really differently where I would be maybe pressuring my husband, Ike, you know, we lead a church together. And so, you know, we're constantly making decisions together, which is both wonderful and very difficult at times. And so there are times when I'm thinking I really want him to make a certain decision. And so I can pressure him to do that. I can coerce him to do that. I can manipulate him to do that. You know, I can get him to, you know, make the decision that I want him to make, but it will cost my marriage it will cost our, our intimacy. And I won't necessarily see that right away. It could be five years from now of me continuing to control my husband where that relationship just creaks and breaks. But there will be a cost. I started seeing it differently in, in other areas of my life, like leading our church. You know, as I mentioned, I really wanted, I genuinely believed, and it sounds silly to say that if I could just walk people through the scripture, you know, that we were relying on, or if I could just, you know, talk to them about the wise counsel that we were seeking or the experts in our church or, you know, whatever it was, if I could download that information into their brains that they would change their minds and see things the way that my husband and I did. And really, this, again, was a form of control. And every time I did this, again, there was a cost to it. And one of the main costs was actually my own mental health. I was the one who was laying awake at night rehashing these conversations or thinking through, if I just explained it this way, you know, maybe that would convince them. It was also straining my relationships with them. And so we feel the cost of control in in a lot of different ways for anyone with adult children. You could probably speak to this more, Ed. If, If you have adult children who are, you know, making decisions that you don't agree with there's really only so much you can do, but you cannot control your kids. And if you try to, it is going to produce anxiety in you. It is going to strain your relationship with them. And so that that was just a, a huge shift for me of, of realizing I can, I can try and do in this situation, I can make this person do what I think is best, but it is going to come at such a high cost that it is not worth it to me and so that that was the the epiphany for me of realizing i i don't want to pay this cost
0: Hmm. so good so good and that's i think for a lot of us it's determining eventually getting the place where we say you know this is not worth it this is not the approach that Mm -hmm. we can Mm -hmm. should or must take as well
1: yeah and you had asked before the break you would said okay well what does this all have to do with anxiety And anxiety is one of the primary costs of control. There's this terrible paradox. It's, I call it a devil's deal, where we turn to control to soothe our anxiety. But the problem is control only creates anxiety. It doesn't relieve anxiety, it only creates anxiety. And so we get caught in this cycle of feeling anxious about anything. Control is not the only cause of anxiety, but we feel anxious maybe because of something in our past, something you know that we're wrestling through. But when we turn to control to soothe that anxiety, what ends up happening is it only ratchets this up even more. And we experience the relationship between control and anxiety in a lot of different ways that you can really easily access in your own life. So kind of the low the stakes version of this is when you have ordered a package and it was supposed to be here yesterday and it's still not here and so you're going on to the shipping information page and you're just clicking refresh over and over and over again and what you're doing is seeking that that feeling of control that feeling of of predictability and certainty but really what's happening every time you click refresh and that stinking package has not moved it just makes you feel anxious and more frustrated even more, and so we can relate to that. We can relate to that, but there's also higher stakes examples, as I mentioned before, with you know loved ones who are making destructive decisions. To just pay attention that when you are trying desperately, and, and oftentimes this is this is not out of arrogance or a desire for power, but it's it's about love. You, you want to protect them. But just to notice that the anxiety that you're feeling trying to get them to make a decision that, th- that they should make. And we, we tend to blame that anxiety on the situation and, and that is part of it. But also it's because you're trying to control a situation that you cannot control and that will always create anxiety. So it plays out in a lot of different ways.
0: It does. I mean, it's very much. I mean, this is, I think, one of the reasons the scripture speaks so often about, you know, be anxious for nothing. The connection, but everything with prayer and supplication, make your request be known to God. It moves the control. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let's take some calls because I think people have some, some good insights on this. First, first, we're gonna go to Judy in Sycamore, Illinois. Judy, you're live on the air. What's your question or your comment?
2: Hi, thank you. Um, you may have addressed some of this because my phone cut out for a while and I couldn't hear the program. My question was whether the was specific in this book applied to parenting. And um, maybe that's, that's kind of what you were just talking about. I wasn't sure. No, no,
0: we haven't, we, haven't, we haven't addressed that specifically if it does. But we've been addressing generally around parenting. So Judy, if you'll, if you'll hold on the line too, my producer is going to come on and give you a copy of the book. And remember, it's not out yet it's out for a couple of weeks, but we'll get you a copy when it is out. So uh, in the book itself, I mean, the parenting I know the parenting examples, but how would, how would you express and relate it to parenting through the book?
1: Yeah. So I I do have a whole chapter on the cost of controlling our relationships. And parenting is certainly a part of that. I am always very, very careful because my kids are young. And so I never want to position myself as an expert. <laughs> I, I would love to hear, you know, more of your input on this, Ed. Honestly, like what you have learned in this relationship of control with parenting adult children, but in as much as broadly speaking, I look at the relationship of relationships. I do have a little bit of research early in the book. There's this fascinating author named, and she's a psychologist named Jean Twenge. I think I'm saying her name right. Are you familiar with her, Ed? I she's not. like a, oh, she is excellent. And she has done a lot of research on Gen Z and millennials and kind of the the next generation. And she has this one book, I believe it's called iGen. And she was talking about how this next generation Gen Z is one of the safest generations, they are the least likely to get into car accidents. They are the least likely to be involved in like violent crimes. They are there there's across the board, all these things where they are the lowest. They parents have successfully sheltered this generation and yet they are also the most anxious. And it's this strange, it's this mystery of why when when they are the most protected, why are they also the most afraid? And she said it's possible an exchange has happened where we've kept them more physically safe in exchange for them being less emotionally safe. They are not prepared for the world, and that is the cost of control.
0: Fascinating. We continue our conversation with your calls, 877-548-3675. Let's jump on. You got questions about control, anxiety, 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back. And I, I just realized that I haven't actually introduced Sharon Hottie miller correctly. It's Dr. Sharon Hottie miller because she actually has taught for me at the Wheaton College Graduate School, and we're super appreciative of her teaching and her writing as well. She's got a new book, The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power of God's Promises. And we've been actually gotten some calls lined up, want to ask some questions about what this looks like, how this works. So let's first go to Penny in Alabama. Penny, you're live on the air with your question or your comment, go ahead.
2: Please comment on differences between men and women regarding control.
0: All right, Penny, if you'll hold on to, we're going to give you a copy uh, of the book when it comes out. So what do you think? Differences between men and women, Sharon?
1: You know, that's a great question. I think some of that is going to vary by personality just a little bit. But I think if we were going to paint in broad strokes, I think it's probably easier for men when it comes to control, especially in relationships, it's easier for men to, you can use your, the sound of your voice, the volume of your voice, your, your size, you know, can be a form of control. Whereas for women, I think we are more adept at using control uh, through our words, through emotional manipulation. But I will say even with the men being physically controlling, like how you can be intimidating towards someone, I, if I'm being honest, I find that is also a form of control that I can revert to with my children. So I don't think that's even exclusively something for, for men. I can you know, be physically intimidating to my children without even laying a finger on them. I can raise my voice and, and intimidate them. And so that's something that writing this book has been really convicting about. But yeah, I think women tend to be very verbally powerful and that is something that it, it, it's a strength that we need to learn to wield wisely because it's very powerful
0: hmm. okay good we got lots of questions lined up so let's go to ed in chicago illinois not this ed but another ed you know Sharon, two eds are better than one but ed you're live on here <laughs> with your question your comment
2: <laughs> hi my question is if you in um, my case, I got divorced because my ex-wife is very controlling. But how, besides mm-hmm. therapy, what other things can you do to uh, change a person so they're less controlling? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's that's fascinating. Ed, and hold on the line, too, Ed, so we're going to give you a copy or a future copy. We're going to get your information. But what a fascinating question. Um, wh- what do you think, Sharon?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that is a great question, and it sounds like, you sought wise counsel and that's an excellent form of of influence that's a great way to use your agency in a difficult situation and then another form of agency that we see in the garden of eden that actually adam and eve ultimately fail to use is taking it to god directly taking it to god in prayer and with with our spouses with our kids with with any situation so often our first inclination is to control the situation instead of taking it to God in prayer and recognizing that that is one of the most powerful things that we can do, but at the same time recognizing, and, and I'm so sorry, Ed, that this was your situation, at the end of the day, we cannot control people and releasing that at the end of the day, that, that we can influence, we can, we can pray, we can seek wise counsel, but we are not responsible for the outcome.
0: Now, I would say that the book is more geared towards your own kind of self-reflection rather than mm-hmm. how to address what might be a controlling other. Is that a, is that a fair description?
1: Yeah, I think that that is mostly what it is geared towards.
0: Yeah, and I and I think for me, I mean, I think that's where um, you know, I mean, there's the phrase like letting go and letting God. We've got these sort of cliches that people use. But the reality is, is this is really challenging for a lot of us, because um, yeah, you you say in the book that God didn't give us control, but He did give us the power to influence ourselves, our circumstances, and others. I think that's kind of a key theme. What is explain that? Unpack that for us some.
1: Yeah, so that just goes back to what I said earlier in the interview, especially for anyone who missed it, is you know, once you realize the cost of control and your desire to not pay that cost in anxiety or broken relationships, what what do we do then? And how too often we're taught just let go, you know, as you just said, Ed, let go and let God. But that's not exactly what we see in, in scripture, that God still empowers us. He gives us a, a spirit of power. And so the problem with control is not the, this power that we're exercising, it's our failure to acknowledge the limitations of our power. And so agency is recognizing God has empowered us. He's empowered us to exercise dominion in the world, to name, to order, to you know operate within limitations. He's empowered us to pray. He's empowered us to create. He's empowered us to self-examine. There's, there's all these things that we can do instead of controlling. And so asking ourselves, in this moment instead of trying to control what can I do instead? And that is a question of agency.
0: Yeah, and it's difference between you know this kind of passive. Well, I can't do anything about it. Fatalism. Mm-hmm. Let go, let God. And what might I do in response to this this moment? Talk to us a little bit about some of the habits of control. But let me let me again invite our callers. Uh, you can call us at 877-548-3675. five four eight three six seven five. We're having a really good conversation here today. But our number again is 877-548-3675. So habits of control. What are those? Why do they matter?
1: Yeah. So the number one habit of control that I was personally convicted by in writing this book is the ways that we turn to knowledge and information as a source of controlling others or feeling in control. And that I'd never thought of knowledge and information as, as being a tool of control, but it's arguably the very first one, you know, the, the tree of knowledge is, is what Adam and Eve ultimately eat from. And in a world where knowledge and information are constantly coming at us through our smartphones, you know, it's, it's so ironic. I'm not the first person to notice this, that there's a bitten apple on many of our smartphones. Every time we turn to our phones for predictability, for certainty, for a sense of control over the world, we are just reenacting that again and again and again. And so I would say pay attention to why it is you are on the internet researching and researching and researching that, you know, rash (laughs) or that bump on your leg or, you know, whatever it is, or the the latest you know trend in politics, or the thing that happened on the other side of the world that you're just obsessing over, that this is actually a control response where we are. Not, none of which, to... none of which
0: you can influence. I mean, almost all those things. There's nothing now. Again, I might want to say I got to get some information about you know my my symptoms. Not a bad thing to go to WebMD or whatever, mm-hmm. but. the stuff that you doom scroll, you know, I mean, remember these, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, they have never ending scrolling and people just get Mm -hmm. in that doom scroll and then are surprised that their, their anxiety levels up. Um, and you know, they're having a struggle turning things over to the Lord. I mean, it really is a, Mm -hmm. it's easy to get caught up into these, these challenges. And so, but you also make some theological cases. What does theology have to do with control?
1: Yeah, so I've talked about one aspect of it a lot, which is that the theological and biblical blueprint for how we understand control can all be traced back to, you know, the scene of the crime in Genesis 3, Hmm. that that is the, the moment where our issues with control all began and because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, we continue to reenact them again and again and again. But there's another piece to this that is really, really important. And as, as much as we talk about we shouldn't control, we shouldn't control, and there's kind of this shame element to it. I also think there is a tremendous grace that Scripture and, and theology give to us, which is that we are we are living in a Genesis three world. But we were created for Genesis 1 and 2. And so part of the reason we wrestle with control is not because of idolatry always. It's it's not because you are prideful or arrogant or be, simply because you believe you are better than God. Sometimes that is it, but but sometimes you wrestle with control because this world is simply not as it should be and you are craving security and stability, which is exactly what you were created for. And so I I also want to say that when you're wrestling with control, especially when it's in a really heartbreaking, hard situation, that God is not wagging his finger at you and saying, "You, you know, no, 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 don't, don't mess don't wrestle with control right now. You need to trust me. I think God's heart for you is compassion. And part of the reason we know that his heart for us is compassion is that he sent his son into this broken world in order to restore it, in order to provide us the security and the stability that we crave. And so there's a lot of different categories that we draw just from Genesis 1, 2, and 3.
0: Hmm we're going to continue our conversation with Sharon Hottie Miller Dr. Sharon Hottie Miller in just a second and we've got some great calls lined up as well in our final segment so you want to stick around we're talking about her well we're talking about control and anxiety that it gives us and why we crave it And but the book is actually called The Cost of Control Why We Crave It, The Anxiety Gives Us and The Real Power God Promises it's out in just a couple weeks, you can pre-order it now but we're going to take your calls when we come back from the break and continue our conversation here at Ed Stetzer Live thanks for listening, hang on Hey, we're back. Uh, we're having a great conversation with Sharon Miller and talking about control, anxiety, and more. She's the author of several books, and but the most recent one is, the, well, it's, it's actually out like in days from now, but you can pre-order it. It's called The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. And we're taking some calls. Let's go next to uh, Sonia in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Roll Tide. Sonia, you're on the air. Go ahead.
2: Hey, Roll Tide. Um, I've struggled with anxiety pretty bad my whole life, but I have learned to fight back and i let it just completely take over. And when I learned that anxiety and control do go hand in hand, that helped me figure out a lot of my issues because I had, I still have a lot of struggles with worrying about the grouchy times when I was caring for my parents when they were ill and, you know, times that I could have been better But it was all because I didn't have control of the situation to make them better. So it made my anxiety go off the roof. Um, Do you have any suggestions just when those thoughts just get in my head and I can't get them out, what to do? And I really struggle with what if, which I guess is also a lack of control. Um, But it sends my anxiety into orbit. Mm. So I was just going to see if you had any questions. I mean, any suggestions for that?
0: And and hold on the line too, so we can give you and get on the list to get a copy uh, of the book. Great call, Sonia. What do you think, Sharon?
1: Yeah. So another form of agency that God gave Adam and Eve. Can I kind of interrupt wanted... you and just
0: ask you to explain agency for just a second? Because again, just in case not everyone—that's not a normal word. That's a that's
1: mm-hmm. a word
0: that some of us use. But but give a little of your agency and then go back to your answer.
1: Yeah, it's simply the God-given influence that we have over ourselves primarily is over ourselves. It's not necessarily even over other people, but we have influence over ourselves. And so what are we doing with that power? And so there's a number of different forms of that influence that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. and. Another one that Adam and Eve are given, but ultimately fail to practice is the power of self-examination. And again, this isn't something that we necessarily think of as, as being a power, but it's really, really important. And we see it's important in Genesis 3, after they eat the fruit and they hide and God goes to them and he says to them, where are you? And this is a rhetorical question because God knows where they are. He's not wondering, he's not confused where they've gone. This is a question that he's actually inviting them to ask themselves. This is a question of self-examination. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve both fail to answer that question accurately instead they immediately shift into blame into blaming one another you know their their situation they fail to examine themselves but self-examination is a really powerful way for us to fight anxiety instead of turning to control. And so that that would be my simple bit of advice when you are are feeling anxiety is to maybe even literally ask yourself that question where are you like, where am I right now? Mm. Why am I feeling this way? And to give yourself the the space to really search yourself, because otherwise we jump to the wrong answer too often. And if again, this goes back to naming, if you name the problem incorrectly, then you will have the incorrect solution. And so that's a simple practice that I have been using at the beginning of a lot of my days is, is asking myself, where am I? How am I feeling right now? And and going to to Jesus very simply and saying, "This is where I'm at right now" is a great place to start.
0: Mm, so good, so good. In the in the last section of the cost of control, you talk about the uh, kind of the real power that God mm-hmm. promises. And uh, mm-hmm. what's the most exciting promise you cover?
1: Yeah. So agency is is a God given. You know you could argue to use another theological term common grace gift that we have where you know it's part of bearing his image but the reality is even our our agency our forms of influence over ourselves were broken by sin and so even though you can know what you should do. You should you can know in these moments, I shouldn't control. Instead, I need to exercise my God-given agency. You know, what is the power? What is the influence I do have in this moment? You can know those things, but we've all been there where we have failed to do what we knew that we should do. And that is because of sin. And so thankfully, we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, interceding for us. That is why ultimately self-control is not a work of flesh, but it is a fruit of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the, the real power <laughs> that we have available to us. But in addition to that, we also have the power of the gospel. And knowing that on this side of eternity, we will not repair what was broken in Genesis 3. We will not ultimately undo that moment. But thankfully Jesus undoes it for us and at the end of the day that is our hope.
0: yeah okay good let's let's try to get a couple of calls in We'll have to ask our callers to be relatively uh, brief brief and concise brief and concise Patricia you're up uh, what's your question your comment
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate this program um, I live in a multi-generational family. My husband's a veteran he's 75 my son is 54. And my grandson is 23. My husband won't exercise authority uh, in just being the head of the house and speak into behaviors that are not not acceptable, not godly behaviors by my son or his grand or his son. My son like wants my husband wants to be the friend uh, to them and not the authority. Authority and my son wants to be his, his son's friend. Rather than being the authority, and so I just see it leading to all kinds of just. It's very hard for me. I end up speaking up. I end up, you know, you need to tell him this. You need to say that. My husband says, you know, just leave me alone. And my son yeah. says, Patricia, I got to I got I got to so interrupt you, Patricia. We
0: got to get right to your question. Thank we only you. got a couple minutes left. Gus, what, what's that question then?
2: Thank you. Okay.
0: So okay. Question so, question how is, would you oh, give? Okay, go ahead. How would you give her advice and counsel? Because she doesn't want to be controlling in that, but she wants to speak into the situation. we got about a minute left.
1: I just want to say that is a really difficult situation, Patricia, and I'm really sorry because it's difficult to see that day in and day out and feel so frustrated about it. But at the same time, knowing that if you try to push your your husband, it will only strain your relationship with him and honestly it's the same with your your other family members and so to exercise the agency of you know bringing it to god in in prayer and to love them well and and unconditionally to be jesus to them but at the end of the day we release the outcome to God, that we cannot engineer, as painful as it is, we cannot engineer the outcomes that we desire and how important it is to release those outcomes to, to God. But to, but to know also that God is compassionate and, and his heart is breaking with you. And so you are not feeling that alone either
0: mm so good, so good, okay, about thirty seconds left. Give me just kind of a some final thoughts about how our listeners can walk in faith, not control, can have peace, not anxiety,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really just want to end on, especially with Patricia's note, I want to reiterate what I said earlier, that the reason that we wrestle with control is that the world is not as it should be, but we cannot use the world's methods to fix what was broken in the fall. We have to bring it to Jesus and we might not see the outcome we want in the short term. And so it comes down to, do I trust Jesus's faithfulness, not just to me, but to my family as well.
0: Super, super. I appreciate it. Thank you for your call. Sorry, we had to short that there at the end, but really appreciate good, Good question and good insight from Sharon. Again, thanks for listening to Ed Stetzer Live. Uh, our guest has been Dr. Sharon Hoddy Miller talking about her forthcoming book, just days away, The Cost of Control. Oh, Patricia, too, if you'll hold on the line, our producer will give you a copy of The Cost of Control why we crave it, the anxiety it gives us, and the real power God promises. I hope that'll be encouragement to you, Patricia, and to all of our guests. want we'll to encourage you to, all of our listeners, want we'll to encourage you to pick that up as well. Let me thank my team as always here. I've already mentioned Courtney, but Trish McMillan is our producer today. Mark Amara Martinez is manning the phones. Thankful for them. Tune in next week. I'm going to talk about Christian camping and the place and the value of that as well. To hear today's program again, go to edstetzerlive.com.
2: Thanks for listening to Ed Stetzer Live.